Wow. Uh, maybe you have questions. <laughs> uh, I know that I have questions. And um, as we dive into this book of Hosea, the, the questions might be, God, why did you write this? Why did you have somebody write this? Or, Joel, why are we reading this? Like, like of all the things that we could be reading, why, why would we read this where it talks about a, adultery and it uses the word whore many, many times and it's got all these different things to think about that, that are uncomfortable? Well, the reason that we would do that is because um, the Bible says in 2 Timothy, Paul's writing to Timothy and he says that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be completely equipped for every good work. So all Scripture, including really obscure minor prophets Scripture. And so this morning we're going to begin a, a series in the minor prophets. And so we're going to look and see how has God revealed himself in these really weird Strange, hard to grasp. Sometimes they just seem like they're circles that we're just running in when you begin to read prophetic scripture. And so we're going to ask God to, to reveal himself to us. Because all scripture reveals who God is. Even as you think about like the law and the Ten Commandments, they're not just given as laws. They're given to show us the character and the beauty of Jesus. The character and the beauty of God, Yahweh. And so this morning we're looking at this often avoided and neglected part of Scripture, the Minor Prophets. Uh, to do that, we need to lay a little bit of, of work, a little bit of foundation here. Often these are hard to understand due to their style of writing. And so maybe we'll go to them once. Maybe you've read through the whole Bible and you've just kind of trudged through these prophets but the reality is that these prophets are, are given to us to see who God is. Martin Luther, he's this great theologian, a uh, big part of the Reformation, and he writes this about the minor prophets. He says, they, the prophets, have a queer way of talking, like people who, instead of proceeding in an orderly manner, ramble off from one thing to the next so that you cannot make head nor tail of them or see what they're getting at. So if this guy, who studied scripture and spent all of his time, he's a monk for a little while, and, and, and had this, like, that's what he did for a living. And if he says they're a little bit hard to understand and hard to make heads or tails of, if you get lost, you're in good company, okay? So as we walk through this, remember that our goal is not to figure out everything in, in these 14 chapters of Hosea in this next three to four hours. I'm just kidding, not three to four hours. Hope you packed a lunch. Uh, <laughs> in these next 30 to 40 minutes, right? We're not going to get all of it. But Scripture isn't given to us to, have, to be able to process all at one time. Scripture is given to us to sit in, to wrestle with, to think about. So we're, we're going to work through some of that this morning. You see, today we read books and we watch shows and, and the goal of it is like this analytical process of moving from A, if I can prove A, then I'm going to build B off that, and then I'm going to build C off that. And some of you do math. Some of you guys are in high school, and you're, you're doing math, and you have to do one step of the problem to get to the next step. And what you're going to see is 
these don't even connect sometimes. Like, a prophet will move from one illustration right to another one, and you're like, what do they have to do with each other? And so they move in different ways. It's a totally different culture that they're writing in. And it's a culture that's based on on being together and on studying and on sitting in these things. But our culture is based on efficiency and giving it to me as quickly as I can, as fast as I can, as clearly as I can. We place a high dollar on being expedient and concise because we've got things to do. We don't have time for this. I know sometimes in the morning when I'm reading my Bible, I'm thinking, I just need to get through this. I need to check this box so that I can move on to these other things that are really important. But for this culture and this time, what God would have to say to this people was really important. And God used the prophets to do that. I think about like, how, how, how does this play out in my life? I don't even watch, I love baseball. Most of you know that. I love baseball. I don't even watch baseball games now. I go and I watch the recap afterwards and it gives me the whole game in about three minutes because I don't have time to catch the whole thing or because I'm a Mariners fan, I can't stay up late enough to watch the game. But either way, like that's how we process things. It's not worth the time and work and, and really just the experience sometimes to sit in and see the beauty of something so we just want the highlights. We just want it as efficiently as we can get it. But what we have to do is we can't bring that lens, our 2022 American Southern, kind of Southern, Florida lens, right, to this aspect and try to read Scripture through our lens. We need to take some time and we need to figure out, hey, what were they doing in this moment? Who is Hosea talking to? What's going on in their world? And how can we sit in this? You see, it's not made to be an efficient tool, but it's God's word and he's given it to us so that we can see his beauty. We can see this this drama that's unfolding and God's word is given to us, he says, to meditate on it day and night. To sit in his word. To enjoy it. And so I pray that that's what we would do today. The prophets use beautiful and yes, at times confusing imagery. We're going to see that. We've already heard it read as Isaac read it this morning. It's confusing. And this imagery and this poetry, it's given to us so that we would see God and his righteousness. And we would see his mercy. What we just read showed us what Israel was doing. Like It's this metaphor of a, of a man and a woman, a husband and wife, and she goes and, and she leaves him and worships other gods, loves other lovers. And so this, it's a story that's given to us to represent God as the husband and us, a wayward people, as this wife who runs to other things. And so we're given this, but what are we supposed to see in that? We're supposed to see the faithfulness of our God. We're supposed to be able to see in that our own confession that, that we run to other things, and yet God finishes with his character, says, come back to me. Come back, my love. And so I pray that that would stir our hearts this morning. I pray that as we look in all of Scripture, whether we're in the narrative story, or we're in some of the poetry or the prose, um, or we're in the apocryphal 
end times visions or the letters of Paul that seem like they're really application oriented, that in all of scripture we would see God. And that by seeing God, it would stir our hearts to worship. But to do that, we really need the power of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts and minds today because otherwise we're going to get confused. Some of us, maybe we don't get to spend a lot of time in God's word and so for us to jump into Hosea is going to be like we're swimming in some deep water here. So we need God to reveal himself to us. So let's ask him, Lord, would you, in your grace and kindness, reveal yourself to us this morning? That's what we're here for. Sometimes we forget. I know that I've forgotten this week, and I've, I've thought that I'm here to facilitate other people, um, their joy and knowing you, but the reality is that I'm here today to worship you, to love you, to see you, to not try to figure you out or understand everything, but to be in awe of who you are, that you are a God who, who deserves to give me judgment and punishment and wrath, and yet you've given me mercy. And so, Lord, may we see your loving kindness today. May we see your steadfast love, your mercy, and your grace. Lord, and I pray that even as we're looking at this Old Testament text, that we would see Jesus, the work that he's done on the cross, that as we're Looking at this, we would recall the things we've learned about Jesus and Mark. And that you would be glorified. God, I thank you that there's uh, the church around the world looking at Scripture today. Looking at Scripture not to, to have a literary aspect of it, but to see God in it. And so, Lord, would you reveal yourself to your people today for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, we have these books of prophecy in Scripture. We have several major prophets, and they're called major because they have really long books, and they've, they have uh, longer ministries of speaking the Word of God. And then we have the minor prophets, and so we're looking at these 12 minor prophets, beginning with Hosea. And it's not a coincidence that these 12 minor prophets interact, there's actually 12 of them, because somebody eventually compiled all of these scrolls together. Remember, they weren't typed out on the iPad or uh, taking voice notes on their phone. These were written on scrolls, and somebody gathered all these scrolls and said, hey, this is, this is the canon of Scripture. These are the minor prophets, and they picked 12 of them, and those 12 represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And so later, if you know the 12 tribes of Israel, you can tell me them afterwards and I'll give you a prize. But the idea that, that whoever gathered these things together would pick 12 of them was on purpose. And for you and for me, we might have some questions about that. Like, it seems like some human made a decision about what was God's word and what was not God's word. Seems like we were meddling in this thing. But the reality is that anytime God has spoken or anytime he has moved, he has used humans to do it. You think about the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, God invites Adam and Eve to be co-regents with him. Not, not puppets, humans. With all of the complexity of what it means to be a human, to, to have these great ideas and not follow through on them. 
to waffle back and forth. Like that, those are things that are naturally human to us, and God has chosen to use us despite that. But the problem is we often think that because we are made in the image of God, God is like us, and there's ways that God is very different from us. And so I just want us to hold that in mind that, that yes, while these were gathered by a human, they are still God's word to us today. And so these 12 minor prophets are called the book of the 12. God has always used humans to do um, his will and his work in the world. And so these were written by scribes and recorded what was spoken by the prophets. So what we'll think is they just sat down and they began to dictate what was being written down. But the reality is that most of these prophets prophesied for a long time. They would walk around to, to wherever it was that God had called them to speak, and they would speak the same things over and over. They would declare the same things about who God is and about our waywardness and how we have, we have broken covenant with him, and they would call us back to right living in light of what God has called us to do. So a prophet has a couple different roles. He speaks the word of God. We see this first when God sends Moses to the Hebrew people that are in captivity in Egypt. God sent Moses as a prophet to his people to give Israel his word through Moses. So Exodus 4, 11 and 12 says this, Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. A prophet speaks the word of the Lord. How does he do that? He does that by the Spirit of God. By the Spirit of God. Micah 3.8, another minor prophet, says this, But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. So these prophets are called to speak the word of the Lord by the Spirit of the Lord. And really what they're doing is they're contract lawyers. Now, that gets really exciting. Some of you are really stoked about contract lawyers and not many of us are, to be honest. Like, we're like, that could be the most boring thing I can think of right now. But the reality is that God had given the, his people his covenant. His covenant was his law. And so the prophets would remember what the law said, and then they would go around and they would talk to God's people and remind them of what that law said. The reason was not so that they would stick to the law but so that they would know and remember who God was. Because God had called them out of Egypt to be his people. Not somebody else's people, but to be his people, and he would be their God. That was the promise. Jeremiah 7.23, Jeremiah says this, But this command I gave them, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people, and walk in all the way that I command you, that it may be well with you. The beauty is we see this common grace throughout God's law that says, yeah, when we live like that, we get along better. When we, get, when we live like that, there's justice and there's righteousness and there's goodness. And, and some of those things are just common sense that he has placed in front of us. But some of them really go against our grain, go against our own will and desire. And so these prophets would call, were called to be these contract lawyers. The, the Bible Project calls them covenant watchdogs. 
They would go before the people on behalf of God and remind them of their obligations as God's covenant people. They're called a faithful obedience to the law of God. So they would do these things. They would pronounce judgment. They would call to repent and return. They would point to the hope of salvation. And so today we're going to look and see how has God, through Hosea, called that people at that time, the Israel and Judah, to repentance and salvation. How would he continue to be calling us today? All right, so back to Hosea 2. Now that we've kind of laid that groundwork, we're going to look at Hosea 2. Hosea 2 was picked out because in Hosea 2, you see Israel's sin, you see what they, what they deserve, and you also see what God gives them. But the beauty of Hosea, and I don't know, maybe you're like me and you're not too familiar with it. I know growing up, uh, in church, I had a, a band that I loved called Third Day, and they wrote a song called Gomer's Theme, and it was about this story. It's pretty accurate. But the, the reality, the chorus was, uh, she's forgotten her first love, and he's forgotten that she ever went away, like that she chased after other things, and he remembers and calls her to him. And so I pray that today we would remember that, 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 that as we're walking through this and you get distracted, that the, real, the, the, the heart of it, what we're trying to see, is that God loves us. That God loves us despite us. God loves us because he is true to himself. And his character is one that he is steadfast in his love. His love is not dependent on your obedience His love is not dependent on your behavior because he can't do anything but love those who he has called. But sometimes we're going to see that that love looks like correction. Sometimes we're going to see that love looks like judgment. We're going to see that it it requires us to remember. Um, the, The word adultery is used in this passage to explicitly and clearly express the pain of faithlessness. And so, as you're looking at Hosea chapter 2, you see this brokenness. You're reminded that this people is supposed to be God's people. In verse 1, Say to your brothers, you are my people. Say to your sisters, you have received mercy. It's a a people, Israel, who has received mercy and possession and identity in God. Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife and I'm not her husband. That she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts. Lest I strip her naked and make her as the day she was born and make her like a wilderness. Make her like a parched land and kill her with thirst. Listen, this is the reality of what's going on in this people. They're a very prosperous people at this point. It's a a kingdom that's been divided. Israel used to be one kingdom under David. And then through the years and different kings, they became a divided nation. And so you had the northern nation of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Hosea speaks to both those kingdoms at different times and in different places. 
So anytime you hear the word Israel, he's talking to the northern kingdom. Anytime you hear the word Ephraim, it's, a, it's another word for this northern kingdom. Samaria was a city in that northern kingdom. So those, those are when he's talking to the northern kingdom. If he's talking to the southern kingdom, he calls them Judah. Or he calls them Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem was in Judah. But in this kingdom, it's one of the most prosperous times in Israel's history. There's a king, King Jeroboam of the northern kingdom, and they're experiencing this great wealth, great prosperity. They've got everything that they need. And because of that, they're beginning to assimilate into the cultures around them. They've actually taken up some of their worship styles. They've begun to worship some of the kingdoms around them, their gods, their, their Baal, which, which we read. And Baal was this god uh, of, the, of the rain and of the weather. And so the Israelites had forgotten that it was God, Yahweh, who had called them out to be his people. And so they begun to work. Remember, this is in the desert, so water's a big deal, right? right? So we've got to be able to remember that. Why would they worship a god of the weather? Well, because if they, if they want to, to prosper, if they want their crops to grow, they need rain. And so they, they're resting in these things, and they, because of their prosperity, they've forgotten who God is. We talked about this at community group the other day. Like, why would, why would we go through suffering? Why, would, why, would it, why wouldn't it be good all the time? Because when it's good all the time, we forget very quickly who has given us that good thing. But when things get bad, we quickly run back to, to God and say, God, I need you. I, I'm desperate. This idea of begging, and it's really hard to beg when you have everything that you need. And so we see that. In this prosperous Israel. How had they become prosperous? Well, Hosea 12 says uh, in verses 7 through 9, a merchant in whose hands are false balances he loves to oppress. Ephraim had said, Ah, but I am rich. I have found wealth for myself. In all my labors they cannot find me in iniquity or sin. God says, I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. I will again make you dwell in tents as in the days of the appointed feast. How had they become rich? They had become rich by using unbalanced scales. They had become rich by taking advantage of the poor. They had become rich by making treaties with other countries. They had be, become rich by amassing great armies and then taking over other nations. All things that the law would call them to not do, they had done. And the biggest piece of their sin, the biggest thing that, that God finds offense, particularly in the book of Hosea, is that they had worshipped other gods. They had gone and participated in sacrifices to other gods, worshipping them, expecting from them what they need, rather than depending on Yahweh, the one who had rescued and saved them. Made them a pe- they weren't even a people. They were slaves in Egypt And God called them and worked mighty wonders, the plagues, dividing the Red Sea, Moses bringing them out, leading them into the promised land, and they forget. But before we say, oh man, those silly Israelites, they forget. Or, maybe it was a couple weeks ago, those silly disciples, how quickly they forget. We need to remember that we forget so quickly. What has God done? What has he provided? How has he been faithful They were an adulterous people. Now, I'm not talking about in their marriages. I'm, the Bible has always used marriage as this covenant 
relationship between God and his people. You see, marriage was never designed to be the thing that we should look at. Marriage was the mirror, that was the picture of what our relationship with God is. The real thing is our covenant relationship with God. Marriage is the thing that points to that real thing. So God uses this idea of marriage, talking about his people, and he says that they were wayward. They were adulterous. They chased after other lovers. If you've ever been burned or burned somebody because of your lack of faithfulness, then you know how extreme the pain and the hurt is. Maybe, it, maybe you've been um, a child in, in a relationship like that who, who has seen firsthand the pain. That's why God is using this. That's why he's using this type of relationship and this type of brokenness and this type of hurt. Because that's what he feels when his people that he's called, that he's rescued, would go to other gods. Ray Ortland says, If Yahweh is the husband of his people, then their lapses from faithfulness to him may properly be regarded as the moral equivalent of whoredom. This takes place throughout Hosea. Like, like Hosea continues to use this theme of an unfaithful people, an adulterous people, throughout all 14 chapters. Here's the unique thing about Hosea. Hosea has the proclamation, but then also God calls Hosea to go and marry an unfaithful woman. So we, we read chapter 2, but sandwiched around chapter 2 is chapter 1, where God calls Hosea and he says, Go, verse 2, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom for, for, by forsaking the Lord. Okay? What is the point? He's saying that you are going to represent what is actually happening amongst the people. The land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Deblame, and she conceived and bore him a son. Listen, she bears him three children, and God specifically tells Hosea how to name those children. The first one is named Jezreel, which means God sows, talking about the judgment that God is going to bring to a wayward and faithless people. The second child, he tells them to name no mercy because he's not going to have mercy on them anymore. The third child is to be named not my people. When we read that, can we all just be honest and say, what? Did Hosea do something wrong? Like, like what's going on here? Is he being punished? Those, those are good questions, and, and we don't need to be afraid to ask them. It does not seem fair. I think there's, there's a, a group of people that have said that, that, that it seems so unfair that probably it didn't actually happen. Um, it's just metaphorical, and, and this is what God told Hosea to do, but I don't think he actually went and did it. I, don't, I disagree. I think that Hosea did this, and I think that it was an example to the people, it's an object lesson. And you may say, man, that's harsh. 
How, how is that a good and kind and loving God? How could he do that? Well, it's not unprecedented. Isaiah, also a prophet, walked around naked for three years prophesying. Like that's, a, that's, a, that's an obscure little piece of the Bible that we don't get very often. And it was to, to show like the, the, the utter wretchedness of the people. And, and so, like, we have a hard time with this. And I think it's okay for us to have a hard time with it. But we need to remember, who is the hero in the story? Is Hosea the hero in the story? Is this a story about Hosea? No, ultimately, it's a story about God. And if well, everything that we've said so far is true, that God is worthy, that God is king on the throne, that God gets to decide things, then why can he not decide that Hosea should go marry this adulterous woman and have these children and name them these names and we think well that's not fair everything that God does is not always fair it is always good it is always just it is always righteous and so feel free to wrestle with that because here's, here's the beautiful thing that we're going to see sandwiched between God calling Hosea to go and marry Gomer this uh, chapter 2 that we read together, and then chapter 3 says, Hosea goes and he redeems his wife. And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a leech of barley, and I said to her, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come and fear, the Lord, fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. The story wasn't over when, God named, when Hosea names his children. God is completing the story. Even as Gomer, his wife, is unfaithful, Hosea goes and pursues her and redeems her back. And that's a story that has implications for us today. We have been unfaithful. And God has gone and He has redeemed us back through, the, through His Son, Jesus, at great cost to Himself. I don't know. I didn't do the math on this to figure out, hey, what, is, what does that mean that uh, it costs Him a 15 shekels of silver, a homer, and a lethic of barley. I don't, I don't know, but I know that it, it cost Hosea something to go and purchase his wife back. His wife that had gone to other things, that had run after other lovers. Great cost to himself. So you have this, we talked about Markin sandwiches and the way that Mark writes. You have this Hosean sandwich. Never heard that used, probably because it's not a good, yeah, it's kind of dumb, but that's okay. What we have is this Hosean sandwich. What actually happened in Hosea's life in chapter 1, and then you have this beautiful poem in chapter 2, and then in chapter 3, you have God redeeming in Hosea's life. And then 4 through 14 are all of the proclamations that Hosea had made to the people of God as he was a prophet of God. And so we're going to look a little bit at what Hosea has said. 
First, we have this indictment and this accusation that we read in in verse 2. Or chapter 2, verse 5. The second half of it says, For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. She's going after other lovers. Israel had gone to other kingdoms and made treaties with other kingdoms, even though God had told them not to. They had gone and worshipped other gods. They had gone and conquered other peoples. All of it to get what they thought that they needed. They needed their bread and their water and their wool and their flax and their oil and their drink. And so they've chased after these other things. Gone to other places. Verse 7, she shall pursue her lovers but not overtake them. She shall seek them and not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, the oil, who lavished her with silver and gold, which they used for Baal. All the things that God had given Israel, they were now using to worship other gods. The grains that they needed to make sacrifice, the animals that they needed to go and make sacrifice, they were using what God had given them to worship other gods. God says that it would be totally just and right for me to take back my grain in its time, in verse 9, my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. Listen, all of that, she deserves that. That's what she deserves. That's what we deserve. We deserve to be punished. We deserve judgment. I will punish her for the feast days of the balls in, in 13 and she, when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. Forgot me. Back to the covenant relationship of marriage. When we go outside that covenant relationship, it's because we have forgotten what God has provided in that. And so we run to other things. We, we forget our first love and we go seeking other loves. And reconciliation looks like coming back to that first love, remembering remembering our wife or our husband, remembering our Lord. Listen, while that's what we deserve, and Hosea continues with this theme in Hosea 4, 1 and 2, he says, Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love, no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Listen, that's the reality of what's going on in Israel at this time. They've forgotten God. They're stealing. They're murdering. They're lying. As we talk about that, do you you have something that comes to mind? Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Ten Commandments. Nice. Look at that. Ten Commandments. Yeah. Like the law of God. And so Hosea the prophet is declaring again, what is the law of God? What is the covenant that we're supposed to keep with him? Not because you need to follow that law, but because you need to know who God is. 
And so he's reminding them of how they've broken that law. It's more than a list of rules. God's law displays his character, who he is and what he is like. Instead of being his royal priesthood, which is what Israel has been called to be, instead of being his special people, his set-apart people, Israel's worshipped neighboring gods and they've tried to assimilate into the surrounding culture. Rather than being set apart, they want to blend in. They've rested on their wealth, their military might, their king, instead of trusting in their God. The God who made them a people, who led them out of Egypt and gave them the promised land. Hosea 4.6, my people are destroyed. Like what is the result of their lack of knowledge? What is the result of their forgetting? My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. All these prophets, these 12 minor prophets, the major prophets, many of them were not recognized during their time. They're just ignored. It's not until later on when some of these things begin to, get, begin to come true. You see, these, these two kingdoms, the kingdom of Israel is, is taken over by the Assyrians that they think that they're in good with in this moment. They've actually made a treaty with them. But God's going to use them as a judgment and as a punishment to His people for forgetting. And so... In hindsight, everybody looks back at the minor prophets and they're like, man, those guys, they knew what they were talking about. But at the time, they're rejected. They're unheard. They're ignored. They're blasphemed. They're called ridiculous. But God's going to use these surrounding nations to judge Israel. Why? So that you should, shall know the Lord. Verse 14 through 23 in Hosea 2. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. God's going to restore that intimate relationship again. Despite her waywardness. Despite her unfaithfulness, God is going to go and he's going to lure her back in. He's going to woo her again. As a tender lover comes, he's going to come again to his people, his bride. 16, and in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my ball, for I will remove the names of the balls from your mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. Listen, Israel deserves to be abandoned, to be left chasing other lovers, to, to find out that that pursuit is going to end in a lack of gratification, a lack of satisfaction. That's what she deserves, and yet God is going to go after her and, and woo her again and remind her of his love for her. I love verses 18 through 20. 
And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, the war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. We think know as in this head smart idea, intellect. Know here means intimate, deep relationship. Oftentimes in Genesis, if they're uh, for procreation, it would be they would use the word he knew her. And it's like that's the intimacy that we're talking about with God. It's making all of us a little uncomfortable, and I get it. God is, he wants to know you. He wants to be intimate with you despite your waywardness, despite the fact that we go everywhere else except God so often. He still pursues us. We talked about, man, what a good God that would pursue us, that would love us, that would, even as we've abandoned him and left his love, he would continue to woo us to him. All that we would know him and trust him. Chapter 11, verses 8 and 9, Hosea prophesying, giving the word of God. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst. I will not come in wrath. Where does that leave us? Okay? We, we who have abandoned God a holy God, and he's coming after us. Like, how, how does that get reconciled? How is God both just and holy and righteous and compassionate and merciful if we deserve wrath? And he says that he's not going to give it to us. How can he be just? How can he be true? How can he be good? Listen, he's calling the Israelites back to himself to remember and to walk in faithful obedience. It's, they're not going to repair the damage by walking in obedience. Their being a particular and a special people are not because they were ever an obedient people. They're going to walk in faithful obedience because their faith is in the one who is making the promise. His judgment against their faithlessness, his judgment is against our faithlessness. But his salvation is through his faithfulness. Listen, we, we get the bigger picture on this side of Jesus, on seeing that Jesus has come and been a propitiation, one who has taken the wrath that we deserve, he bore it on the cross. That's why. God can continue to pursue and continue to woo and continue to love us. Because what we deserve, He's put on His Son. This idea of faith-filled obedience, Paul picks up in Romans. 
In Romans 3, 21 through 26, he just he lays out the same thing that Hosea is laying out before the people. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all run. We've all chased after other things. We've all worshipped other gods. Now maybe you haven't laid a sacrifice on an altar, but you have spent your time, talent, and treasure on other things than God. I've done it this morning. We've done it. We are a wayward, rebellious, flighty people. We've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. But verse 25, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Listen to this, verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to receive by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. This was to show God's righteousness. How can He be merciful and loving and righteous and true and, and give proper Judgment and wrath, because he's put it on his son. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. In Hosea's time, they could be confident in a God who would receive them back if they would turn back and if they would return to the Lord, because there was one coming who would bear the punishment for their sin, the punishment for their waywardness. One who would walk in perfect, faithful obedience. Verse 26 of Romans 3, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, that's beautiful. The fact that we have a God who pursues us, pursues us so much that He sent His own Son, part of Himself, to die, to, to suffer the wrath that we deserve. We who are wayward, we who have run everywhere else but, but to our God. We who have tasted and even seen some of the goodness of God and yet we spend time pursuing our own Ideas, pursuing our own wants, our own desires, rather than resting in the good design of God. This is the promise that we see at the end of Hosea. Hosea 14, the last chapter of Hosea, and he's, and he's finishing and, and, and wrapping up his prophetic word to Israel. Verse 4 begins, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them. But transgressors stumble 
in them. This morning we're called to repentance. We're, we're called, just like wayward Israel, to, to return to God. And the way that he has made that possible is through his son Jesus. That at the cross, he bore your sin. If you are in Christ, he bore your sin. He bore your shame. And through his life, he walked perfect righteousness and obedience to the law. He knew who God was. He knew his character, and he was faithful to it. And so today, when we, are, when we stand before God, we stand in the righteousness of Christ. Or we attempt to stand in our righteousness. And our righteousness does not meet the requirement that God has for us. A lot of you are really good people. Some of the best I know. Your righteousness, as good as you are, does not put you in right standing before a holy God. But Jesus has made the offer of his righteousness for us. If we would confess our sin, confess our need for a Savior, if, if Israel would confess their need for God, and we confess our need for God today, He's there. He loves us freely. I love that, that passage in, in our text, in Hosea. I will love them freely. So this morning, I just pray that that would be true for us, that we would receive that free gift of God. And if this is something that you, maybe you're hearing for the first time and you want to talk more about, man, that's, that's why we're here. Our, our hope is that we're growing in these things together, that we're hearing these things together. I'd love, love to spend some time and pray with you. And, and we'd love to, to be a community together and say, what does that mean for us? I want to know how God has freely loved me. I want to know how he continues to pursue me. I also want to know how I run so that I cannot stop doing that. I don't want to run from God anymore. I want to run to God. So we have the privilege of doing that together. Amen? Amen. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the call to come back. We thank you for the word that says that you have loved us freely. God, even as we've taken your good gifts and we've used them on other things and we've given them to things that are unworthy, God, you continue to pursue us. God, we thank you for the story of Hosea. We thank you for his obedience. Because through him you've shown what your grace looks like. Through years of him being abandoned and left by his wife. God, you've shown us what your love looks like, your forgiveness, your reconciliation. You've also shown us the judgment that we deserve that you put on your son, Jesus. God, and so all of the story points to your goodness and your grace and your kindness. And so, Lord, I pray that today we would see that and we would rejoice in it. Lord, we love you. We know you love us, and we pray that we would grow in the knowledge of your love for us, and we would grow in our worship and love for you. We ask these things in your name. Amen.